Russell Moore, in his book, Onward, states, A church that assumes the gospel is a church that soon loses the gospel. A church that assumes the gospel is a church that soon loses the gospel. We all know what you do when you assume, right? You make false you know, conclusions? That's where I was going. Ah, when we assume the gospel, we soon lose the gospel. And I want to throw you some statistics up. People were asked questions about what they believed, and they're kind of when the rubber hits the road questions. Is the Bible true? Is God real? Do you? How do you be saved? And I'll show you on there as well is in the orange is the Americans. So just general America, how they responded. So this question, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, Islam. And Americans, just in general, 50, I mean, uh, 67% will say, yeah, God accepts that. Evangelicals, that's going to be a different group of people. That's going to be conservative Christians, Bible-believing, God-fearing people that are a part of a conservative denomination. 53% of them will say that, yeah, God accepts all worship. We continue on. But most people are generally good. Yeah, everyone sins a little, but most people are generally good. 56% of evangelicals, conservative Christians, will say, yeah, that's probably true. 67% of Americans will say that. The next statement, the smallest sin deserves hell. This is where it gets hard, right? 44% of Evangelicals, maybe we say 44% of those in this room, would strongly disagree that even the smallest sin deserves hell. This is where we say one thing and we live out another. The next question, the Bible is 100% true. 86, that's a good number of evangelicals will say, yeah, I believe that. Only 50% of Americans would say that. And let's keep going. Only God can save people is kind of how I said this. Hell is a real place where certain people will be punished. Maybe I got out of order, but that's okay. Oh, yeah, I did. That was me. 87% of believers in the evangelical church would say that hell is a real place. That means 13% go, yeah, I don't think there's a hell. 55% of Americans think hell is a real place. But yet we don't want to believe fully what God is saying. All right, we're going to keep going. Only God can save people. Only the power of God can cause people to trust Him in Jesus. 75% of evangelicals will say yes and 50%. So still there's a great number that believe something else can save you besides God. Next, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. The God I want to believe. This is terrifying. 37% of maybe people like us would say, yeah, it's just a matter of personal belief. It's not an objective truth. This is not real and false. True and false, whatever. Uh, only Jesus, only by Jesus can I be saved. You see... A large number of people, 91% of evangelicals say that, but then they will also then say that other things can save us, as we saw two questions ago. And finally, 
Only those who trust in Jesus as their Savior will receive God's salvation. A large percentage, what is that, 89% of the church would say, of our church type people would say that, but 58% of Americans will say something else can save. I go back to Russell Moore's statement, a church that assumes the gospel is a church that soon loses the gospel. Here's my fear, students. We don't know what it really takes to be saved. We may can spout off doctrine and theological statements. We may can recite what we have heard in church. We may can say, well, the Bible is true, but then when the rubber hits the road, when reality strikes, when we begin to look eye to eye with someone who is a good person, who is devout in some other religion, we strongly struggle internally to stand on the truth that we've said we believe. So this morning, we're kind of starting a mini-series on questions that need answers. Questions that need answers. Who can be saved? Who can be saved? And when we talk about salvation, we oftentimes talk about this word gospel. Most basically defined, the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners. Okay? But what does that mean? God saves sinners. What are sinners? How do we become sinners? All that. See, it all started back in Genesis where God creates Adam and Eve, right? We know the story, or most of us kind of know parts of the story. God creates this man and woman, but then they are tempted by the serpent to eat of the forbidden fruit. Why? Not because the fruit is just some fruit and they're like, well, I just want to try it. No, because they desire to be God, not follow God. Doesn't that sound familiar? They choose to be God, and as a result, they break their relationship with their perfect God who has established paradise and relationship with them. And as a result, we see the Bible showing us a cycle of sin constantly taking place. It gets so bad that God says, I'm going to reset the whole world. I'm going to send a flood to wash everything away except this one family and two of every animal, and I am going to start it over. But then sin continues to come back. We get to the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11, and the people are building this tower so high so that they can reach heaven, so they can be among the gods. And God says, no, I'm going to disrupt you. I'm going to disrupt you. I'm going to uh, throw in all these languages, and now you no longer can work together as you were. And then in Genesis 12, God says, I'm going to work in this way. I'm going to choose a man. A man full of faith. He's not a perfect man, but a man full of faith that I am then going to build a nation from. And it's only going to be me that could do this because he is elderly man. We talked about this week in small group. His wife is barren. There is no hope of them to be a nation except because I am doing it through them. I'm going to build this nation, and this nation that forms from Abraham is to be a nation, not exclusive, but evangelistic. See, we often view Israel as this group who they're God's chosen people and he doesn't like anybody else. No, God chose them so that he could bring everyone else into an understanding of who he is. <clears throat> he shows his grace and his forgiveness and his kindness and blessing to Israel in a sense so that they then can be a light to the nations where everyone else will go, this is what I want to be. He's the one true God and all these other gods I'm following are false. But the problem is the people of God disobey and disregard their true God. The all-knowing and the all-powerful are left out and they choose to chase after their own desires. They do what is right in their own eyes. 
And we see this cycle happening for 2,000 years. And then God continues to point us to this fact that he's got some great news, not just good news, but he's got great news coming. And he talks about through his prophets, through his promises. And then in Bethlehem, that great news is born, right? And we see Jesus. Who is Jesus? God's son stepping into the world, becoming incarnate. What does that mean? He's becoming flesh. He's becoming man. He is walking with us. He is in our midst. And Jesus then comes with one role in mind, to give his life for the sake of sin, so that we no longer are separated from God. Because one small sin, one tiny misstep, breaks our relationship with our God because our God is holy and perfect and he is incompatible with us sinners. There is no way. He cannot accept the top 10%. He cannot go, well, you're pretty good. Oh, you've done enough. There is no extra credit we can do. There is no add-on that we can make. There is nothing that we can do to deserve uh, acceptance by God except a perfect life. And because all of us fail to live perfectly, as it says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we have no hope except by Jesus. And so Jesus comes to live this perfect life to be our perfect sacrifice. Because not that most people are good. No, all people are terrible and all people deserve hell. But Jesus comes to offer himself, to pay our debt, to take away our sin, to give what we could never do. And it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, we're throwing these up on the screen for you. You can write down the verses and I'd love for you to go check them back. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Yeah, when we wait on God, it's hard, but we need to stop understanding our sense of time in his realm. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, our God is not an exclusive God who doesn't love all. No, God loves all people and desires that they should repent. It says in 1 Timothy 2, 4, he desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. So most basically, the gospel is that we as human beings have royally screwed up, and God, being loving and compassionate, has done everything he can to make our mess up okay. And he does it all, and then we get to the same point that the people in Acts began to ask Peter and Paul, now that you've just shared the gospel, now that you've told me how great this God is, now that you've shown me what Jesus has done, what do I need to do to accept this? What do I need to do to get a part of the gospel? What do I need to do to be saved, is what the Philippian jailer in Acts 16 asks. What must I do to be saved? I hope you have asked that question. I hope that you have considered how great God is and how vile and terrible you are or even how just not great you are. And as a result, you go, I need to be saved. What must I do? See, salvation, as Paul and Peter and the rest of the biblical writers will set up for us, lay out this. Conversion, salvation, it takes faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. To be saved, it requires these two things. And some of you may be going, this is a basic, I got this. That's great. You need to remember it, and there's a point to it at the end. Others of you are going, 
oh, wow, I think I'm understanding this. I've been a little confused in the past. This is what it takes to be saved. This is how you have assurance of faith. This is how you have assurance that you're no longer going to hell, but are going to be invited and embraced and adopted into the family of God and be in heaven forever by repentance and by faith. What is repentance? Millard Erickson uh, writes it this way. I think it's a great definition. I would encourage you to write this down. Repentance is godly sorrow for sin with a resolution to turn from it. What is repentance? It is godly sorrow. Repentance is not, I feel bad about this. So there's a lot of things that I regret doing, right? I regret that extra helping of dessert sometime because it doesn't sit well on me. There's, uh, I went to a movie with my dad over the break. I regretted going to that movie, and 40 minutes into it, we left because it was so raunchy and terrible. I regretted that decision. I regret maybe conversations where I fall into gossip or bad-mouthing or slander. I regret things, but there's a difference in repentance. It's not just feeling bad and go, oh, man, I, should, uh, I just didn't like that. That wasn't a good feeling. Repentance is godly sorrow that leads to a change of action. It leads to living differently, to abandoning that sin. Are you still tempted by it? Absolutely. Are you still going to fall into it? Maybe. Hopefully not, but maybe. But a hatred towards sin says that I cannot like Jesus and gossip. I cannot choose to surrender to Jesus and pornography. They are opposed to each other. They cannot coexist. To repent is to turn. There may be stumbles along the way, but it is a full turning and a hatred towards our sin. That is repentance, a godly sorrow with a resolution to turn. What is faith? I loved how I was reading this week. It describes faith as believing in and believing that Jesus is real. Let me... Break this down. I can believe that Jesus is real, that Jesus was a real person, that he died on a cross, that I might can watch a History Channel special and they tell me all those things. I can even believe that Jesus can pay for sins. But I think for many of us, we believe that Jesus as facts. And there's a difference than believing in. Here's how I'll illustrate that to you. I believe that roller coasters are safe. Okay? I really do. I, I, I trust the engineering. I trust um, that the people that just got off are still alive. I can believe that. And I'll even tell you this. This is how much I believe it. I will allow Carla, not that I'm like, don't, don't get into all this. you know. I will let Carla and Cooper, when he gets old enough and tall enough, to ride a roller coaster. Because I believe that they're safe. You know what I don't believe? I don't believe in them. And you're not going to find me getting on a roller coaster because I'm not dying on a roller coaster. <laughs> All right? So I have factual knowledge that I can't live out. How many of us believe Jesus that way? Yeah, I believe the Bible, but I'm not sure if I want to surrender my life to it. Faith is a belief that Jesus is real and true and a belief in Jesus being real and true. So that means even when I've fallen for 10 straight days into this sin that I'm trying to combat, I believe Jesus' grace is real. 
I can, even when I've been facing this hardship for 10 years and I'm questioning God, why have you not stopped this? Why have you not answered this? I can believe in and pray through that Jesus is good and that God is caring and compassionate and merciful and forgiving. And that even when I don't have the answers, I can believe in it. Faith is believe in and a belief that, that Jesus is good and loving. So salvation happens when we repent and when we believe. We turn with godly sorrow from our sins and we turn to Jesus. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is the ruler of your life, turning from all the other things, all the other false gods, all the other things you have bowed down to for so long, if you will confess that he is Lord and you will believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, then you will be saved. How are you saved? Who is saved? Those who believe in and believe that and those that repent. That is who is saved. Verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. (coughs) And just if there's any confusion, Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 6, says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And yet... We see on the statistics that while we as evangelicals will all hold to those facts, we see over and over again that when the rubber meets the road, when reality hits, when good people surround us, when our burden for those who are devout in other religions come up, we begin to abandon our theology I'll give you one last line, and then we're going to get into the reality of this. How, how do we need to remember this? This is something I'd write in the front of your Bibles. I, don't, I didn't I wasn't the first to say it, so don't feel like Jordan thinks he's worthy of my Bible. I'm not. But here it is. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation is by grace alone, only because God is good and gracious and kind to us. Through faith alone. It's not that I deserve it, not that I earned it, but that I believe it. In Christ alone. Only Christ is the, he is the only way that I can be saved. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, if you go into an impact interview and they ask you your view of salvation, drop that line on them, that should help, all right? (laughs) Those are good things to say. We can get the theological understanding of salvation in pretty well. But the problem is, and I've said it multiple times, can we really look at our Muslim friend or our friend who doesn't really go to church or our friend who says they've been hurt by the church because of their last church, this is how people treated them, and so as a result, they're never going again. Can we really look at them and offer them comfort that they have eternal security Or do we have to stand on the truth of what we have just said? See, on paper, doctrine is really easy to lay out. In reality, when somebody's face-to-face with you and they say, do you think I'm going to hell? It's really hard to say yes. Many years back, there was a person in Carlin's family who changed from being Methodist to Jewish. And that created tons of conversations within our family. 
So what does that mean? Is that okay? I mean, it's the same God after all. I mean, if it was good enough for Abraham or David or Isaiah, is that not good enough for them? And then I fell into this wanting to be kind and gracious. I fell in this trap of wanting to justify how you can be Jewish and still be in heaven, that I walk through the character of God, the nature of God, the forgiveness of God, all throughout the Old Testament showing, hey, yeah, I think there's a door we could open. But as I was sitting in all of those parts of God, I forgot the Word of God. Because I wanted to clean it up, and I wanted to help someone out. In an attempt to be gracious, I was abandoning theology. And that's where it gets really dangerous, students. See, we think we're being kind and compassionate when we want to coexist, but we're really being cruel. It feels good. Because we can tell an unbelieving world that they'll probably be okay. We don't have to have hard conversations. We don't have to get seen as this arrogant know-it-all that my faith is exclusive and nobody else can be a part of it. That's not at all what we believe, but that's the picture we get painted. And so then, as a result, we just want to coexist. But it's dangerous to allow others to believe a false theology giving them an incorrect and unstable hope. Coexisting may help you avoid conflict, but it also leads people to hell. What we must understand this morning is that my Muslim friend, no matter how devout, how kind, or how good, is going to hell unless they repent and believe. That my roommate, no matter how sweet, how good to me, how caring and compassionate, that if they do not have a faith in Jesus Christ where they have confessed and believed that they are going to hell, that my boyfriend, my dad, my sibling, my cousin, that if they do not repent and believe, Do not have eternal security. Students, this isn't a fun message. I told Cooper earlier this week what I was teaching on. He said, good luck this morning. (laughs) This isn't a fun one, but it's one we have to have because for too long I think we've sat in this idea that, oh, we can all get along and we're all going to make it up the mountain to God somehow. None of us can make it up the mountain. That's why God comes off the mountain to us. And we've got to stop encouraging others to that thought. So let me end with this because I know we've got Some people that need to go into worship. If y'all need to go, Cooper, y'all need to go? Yeah, go. They're leading worship in big church, so y'all go. You're not disruptive. I was long. Here's the struggle I think we, we have. We want to worship the God of Jordan, or insert your name, instead of the God of the Bible. Because for too long we have watched the church, and particularly in maybe televised ways or in older generations, who have held to truth so much that they forgot love. So we see in our mind those signs of God hates fags or liberals are going to hell. 
And so what we have done, I've taught this so many times in this way, we have grabbed the will that is veering off into the ditch of just truth without grace, and we have overcorrected and said, no, 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 don't worry about truth. God is love. God loves all people. Love wins. And we say this over and over without ever having any truth. And see, when we major in one and abandon the other, we are having and teaching incorrect theology. See, Jesus came, John 1.14, in grace and in truth. And I think as his disciples that we are sent out in grace and truth to be grace and truth to the world. So God does desire all people to come to a saving knowledge of his son, but he is not going to abandon his holy standard. So, unfortunately, or... Honestly, fortunately, we don't worship the God Jordan wants. We worship the God of the Bible, the God who is, the God who has infinite wisdom compared to my finite wisdom, the God who knows and stands by his truth instead of bows down to each individual's person and giving up his values. So, do I want to see Muslim men and women saved? Yes, absolutely. But I can't lie to them and say since they're devout that they are. Do I want to see your roommates and your boyfriends and your aunts and uncles and fathers and brothers saved? Yes, but I can't lie to them and say that they are if they're not. We must stand on truth. I'll end with this. Pendulette, a well-known comedian, um, and an outspoken atheist has this chilling line. Go watch the video. What is it? Pen gets a Bible? Yeah, I think like it's like that. Look it up on YouTube. But he asked this question. How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize, not to tell them about Jesus? He goes on. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe eternal life is possible and not tell them? He says, I'll give you an example. I mean, if I believed a, beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe the truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And yet, we're afraid to even call out and say, hey, I think there's a truck coming. So, I'm going to end with this. That, that was it, really. So, question for you is this. I had a student this semester telling me, they said, I was once asked on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident am I that I'm saved? And if any of you answer anything less than a 10, please talk to me, talk to your adult leader, talk to a small group leader, talk to a friend. You should not, be, you should not have to answer less than a 10. You should know that I have confessed, I have repented, and yeah, I struggle with sin, I'm still falling into this temptation, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that I am saved, that I am loved, that I am accepted, that I am adopted. And then, for those of you that say, yes, I'm a 10, who do you know that's not a 10? That you need to be sharing with. Let's pray.